0: All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. We are continuing a series of messages that we've called Hope After the Storm. Hope After the Storm. Here's the idea. Uh, in the book of Esther, Esther is one of the three books in the Old Testament that is a historical book that's covering the period of time after the Babylonian exile. So they call it the post-exilic historical books, and that would be Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So they've gone through 70 years of exile, a storm, challenge, uh, challenge after challenge. Uh, This is going to be people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Uh, Ezra himself, Nehemiah himself. All of them have gone through hardship. They've gone through uh, difficult times. But now the, the exile is over. They're allowed to return home. They're allowed to go back to their, to their homeland. Some of them choose to. They're known as the remnant. Others of them choose to stay in Persia, Babylon, the, the other nations. And they're often called the diaspora. And that's what Esther is focused on. As the book of Esther focuses on those people uh, who did not return to Jerusalem. Now why is that important? Well let's just remind ourselves really quick what God is doing, how God is using both the remnant, those who returned to Jerusalem, as well as the diaspora, those who chose to stay in Persia. Well first of all we recognize that through the remnant, that group of people that went back to Jerusalem, one of the significances there is this guy named Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel just gets barely mentioned in the Old Testament here, Uh, in the, in the, in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. But he plays a significant role. And the reason he plays a significant role is because he's a descendant of King David. In fact, not only is he a descendant of King David, he's part of this remnant that goes back to Jerusalem. And he is going to be the great grandfather ten times over of Jesus himself. So God is protecting the lineage of Christ through the remnant, through those that have headed back to Jerusalem, those that went back to, uh, to Israel. So it's significant that God is protecting them, but God is not only protecting them, he is protecting the diaspora, those that chose to stay in Persia uh, under the control of a Persian king. Now, why would they do that? Ultimately, it's the sovereignty of God. God has a plan and a purpose for them. And just as he is protecting the lineage that's going to lead us to Christ, he is now building an infrastructure that will allow his people to be in all 127 provinces across the known world. That's so important because it's going to be during this time period when the the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, the books of Chronicles, the prophets like Malachi, when all of those things come to a close, and then there's a few hundred years of silence before Christ appears, that's not to say that God wasn't doing something. Even though there was no, new, there was no prophecy, there was no new prophets coming, there's, no, there's nothing along those lines, God was building an infrastructure through the diaspora through the diaspora they were building in the provinces different communities they were building synagogues and they were they were continuing to follow the one true living god as a result come new testament times when jesus arrives and he has, and and people like uh, Jesus, or even the his followers, and and the apostle and his colleagues begin to travel. They're going into these places where there are synagogues set up, and they're able to do what? Preach the gospel. Now, why was that possible? It's all possible because God protected the remnant, and they built an infrastructure that allowed that to happen. So the remnant protects the lineage of of Christ, the diaspora is going to be the precursor to Christian missions. Now real quick, Esther chapter one was all about introducing us to King Ahasuerus and Queen Vashti, and we discovered, oh my goodness, they had some issues. Esther chapter two, we're introduced to Esther herself. She's a young Jewish girl uh, who um, was being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And the king's servants suggested that the king get a, a beautiful girls, from all 127 provinces and bring them before the king, and he can choose a new queen and depose Queen Vashti. By the end of chapters 2 and 3, or by the end of chapter 2, there are three verses. Three verses, the very end of chapter 2, that hinge everything else that we're going to read about. It's going to, the whole narrative hinges on these three verses. Because if this doesn't happen, these these three verses at the end of chapter 2, if this doesn't happen, then nothing else that happens in the narrative is going to unfold. And basically, here's what it is. At the very end of chapter 2, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, overhears a couple of the king's eunuchs. And they're making plans to, to lay hands on the king. And Mordecai hears their plans, and he informs Esther, and Esther informs King Ahasuerus. As a result, those two eunuchs are hanged. They're executed. And then there's nothing else said about it. The chapter ends, and it's it's almost like, just tuck that away. Remember those three verses because it's going to be significant and we're going to discover that if these things didn't happen, if Mordecai didn't overhear that conversation, then everything else uh, would would not have happened. By chapter 3, we're introduced to a man named Haman. In English, it's Haman. And Haman is an Amalekite. You may see in the Scriptures, it says a Gogite. Uh, Real quick here, a Gogite... It's not a nation or a people, of, a people group like from the nation of Agag. Agag is a person. He's a king of the, the Amalekites. And if you remember in the Old Testament, if you remember some of the narrative, the Amalekites are the sworn enemy of Israel. So here we have Haman, who's actually an Agogite. He is an Amalekite. He is, his enemy is no less all of the Jewish people. And Mordecai, he refuses to bow down to Haman, uh, which was actually one of the king's commands. And by the end of chapter 3, Haman managed to schedule a date to have all of the Jews in all 127 provinces annihilated. By chapter 4, Esther hears about this decree to annihilate the Jews And she tells Mordecai, she tells her maids, she tells everybody that she can't start fasting because she's about to go into the presence of the king without being summoned. So here's our plan today. We're uh, going to be going through four chapters today, uh, and we're going to go through rapid fire. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at one key point from each one because this is the culmination of the narrative. I believe there's some things that can help us when we're attempting to discern how we follow God's plan. What does that look like? Well, we're going we're gonna to discover that in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Over on the table after the service, if you get a chance, there is a scroll. It's a replica of a scroll from the 1600s that was, um, it was made in Italy. And this is a typical scroll of the Old Testament, especially during the time of the Reformation. But the book of Esther is one of the books that usually got its own scroll. It's a short book. Um, It got its own scroll because they're going to read this story. And as you can see on the scroll, if you get a chance to look at it, uh, the Jewish people would actually illustrate. They would actually draw pictures of the king and Esther and and Mordecai and Haman and all of these people and you would get to see uh, artists rendering of the book so if you get a chance afterwards and you want to look at the scroll uh, feel free to go and do that